Have you have you had like film ideas about it? Yes and no, because I think because we've lived it. Do we want to relive it, watching it? Maybe in ten years' time. Yeah. I think, and it was really weird because at the start of lockdown, we watched that film. What was it Contagion? Everyone watched Contagion. And we watched it like the first week because we locked down like two weeks before the official lockdown. Yeah. And you're sitting there watching it going, oh my God, with hindsight, it is a blow by blow account, apart from the very end, hopefully, yeah. of what's happening. I certainly didn't think it was going to go on for as long as it has. I had time to do the things that I'd never been really able to do to completion because of the hustle and bustle of every day. Did you find yourself welcoming it, even though it was a bit of a madness? Yes and no, because I think, you know, I spend a lot of time being really, really busy, probably on purpose. Number one, it's a default. Number two, I am generally busy. I think the thing that really struck me was because we carried on working throughout because we weren't expecting to film this year. So we carried on every day, but from our homes via Zoom and Google Hangout and everything. So I think the thing I noticed the most was the evenings. Mm. You know, I was someone who goes out three, four times a week. And to suddenly not go out, not know what's going on, not meet people. I suppose my biggest sort of revelation was you don't really have to. Life goes on. You don't need to be seen at everything. You can take your time. And it made me think, how the hell did I manage to do what I've done for the last decade or so and still carry on having a life? I know people always talk about work-life balance, but I think it has helped. I hope that stays, that ability to just go, actually, I'm not going to that tonight. And I think that thing about having time to reflect, you know, if all you're doing is getting from A to B to C to D, of course you don't have time to reflect. And I think recognising how much time I spend travelling in a day, even though yeah. I live centralish London, it's hard work yeah. getting on and off a tube and, you know, because it's so intense all the time. So I think just trying to find those couple of hours here or there and grab them back to do other stuff with. I really hope that stays. The only thing I've found that's been a problem now is that I'm filling up those extra hours with more works. And even though we're on lockdown, I all had to stay in. I'm like, oh, okay, so that means I've got more hours in the day, whereas going out does kind of like, when you come in, though you feel like some people, you know, if you've got your own business, you do do the extra bits before you go to bed. But now it's kind of like a bit seamless. But I definitely would like the industry to be a bit more calm. Sorry, hello. Me and Nadine were just nattering, catching up. So I'll start from scratch. Hi, this is Claire Jamfee, founder of The British Blacklist. And I'm here with two wonderful women. Please introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Nadine Marsh-Edwards. I'm a producer and co-founder of Greenacre Films. Hi, I'm Amanda Jenks. I am uh, Nadine's business partner and also producer at Greenacre Films. So hi guys, thank you for joining us. And obviously I'm here to talk to you about some of your career, but also about this brilliant project, Unsaid Stories for ITV. So can you, can you tell me about it in like a nutshell of what it's all about? It's um, a creative response to the Black Lives Matters marches that were happening in the UK. And we wanted to find some stories that were the emotional moments behind the events that made people go on a march and protest and raise their voice. Did you guys generate the idea? Yeah, yeah. it was a conversation we were having, really. And Nadine and I were talking and Nadine 
you know, we're saying that, you know, we absolutely have to say something. We're working with ITV and other stuff. So we contacted them and they jumped on it really quickly, actually. And then we just had to think, how do we turn this around in four weeks? Why was it such a short time frame? We basically are following off from isolation stories, mm. which was the creative response to everyone being in lockdown because of Corona. And so we said, well, let's try and do something like that. So it's a very short turnaround. Let's not overthink it. This is what's happening here and now. This is what people are thinking here and now. Let's just do it. Because at that point, when we had that initial conversation, no one knew what the lockdown was gonna be like in two weeks time. Was it gonna open up? Was it gonna get even tighter? We didn't know. So we just approached a few writers and just said, how is all of this making you feel? Because I think it's that, it was that double whammy of a universal pandemic going on. So people were at home having time to think about what was happening. And we were also at home watching black people in America get killed. And um, we are sadly used to seeing that or hearing about that. But I think there were like three or four in a really short space of time which made you know black lives matters marches start happening over there and then they started to happen here in a response to that but also about what is happening here so we had the statues being pulled down which everybody in my house certainly cheered about that so it's like okay this is happening this is a movement this is something that for the first time in a long time we didn't think was going to go away quickly that the effects of everything was that was happening was gonna go forward and make some other changes happen institutionally, emotionally, practically. And we just wanted to find some short stories that touched on some of those elements. So you have Look At Me, written by Lynette Linton and directed by Francis Annan. You've got Lavender, written by Nicole Leckie and directed by Atosha Hilton. Generational, written by Jerome Buck and Nelson and directed by Orbit Riley. And I Don't Want To Talk About This, written by Anna Sesamiaba and directed by Kobe Adum. So this also stars Nicholas Pinnock, Adeleo Adedeo, Paparessia Du and more. So this is a talented bunch of British black creatives who, for some of them, the industry has kept them from working on anything like this. So what was it like working with all these guys? And in comparison, being on set with so much British black creatives, it, maybe if you reflect it, it will compare it to projects you've worked on in the past. Well, okay, a couple of things. Sadly, we were never on set because oh, it was remotely we were sitting around our computers watching this being shot the only people in the room were the two actors uh the camera operator stroke dop and a health and safety person no one else was allowed in the room the sound person was outside monitoring everything and the director the editor everyone else we were all watching it so that was really strange because you feel quite intimate with what you're watching but you are not physically yeah. there wow and you know for uh, for me to work with basically we had four film teams all shooting at the same time which is an incredible thing to pull off in such a short space of time because we basically had two weeks to get the scripts written and to prep the actual shooting find the actors and just do it. So, you know, it, it was an incredible experience in many, many, many ways. And, you know, what we found when we put the call out for actors, people were here and they went, we're gonna do this. You know, people who probably haven't done a short film for a very, very long time, 
just went, yeah, this is something good. We need to get involved in this. And, you know, person, we've always had diverse crews. So the diverse crew part of it wasn't a bigger surprise to us. You know, we also work with four black female producers who ran things with us. So I think all in all, it was a show of how much talent there is in this country. And that if people are looking for black people to work on their films, we're here. You don't actually have to look that hard. I mean, everybody, the directors and the script writers were all absolutely fantastic. And I think the quality of the scripts made it so much easier for us to cast because they, they were so well written. And, you know, Shaheen Bey came on board and, you know, Carl, I mean, everybody just really got into the spirit of it. I mean, the only challenge was the amount of time. People were brilliant, but to have like, from the moment you have the idea and talk to ITV and they say, yeah, let's do it, to it being on air, being four and a half, five weeks at a push is no time at all. So, I mean, thank God we work with such talented people because I think it would have been really hard to achieve, you know, with anyone else, to be honest. Which of these stood out personally to both of you and why? Like, which of the projects, not to pick a favourite, but more which kind of resonated with you in a different type of way than maybe to some of the others? I can't say that. I think they all resonate in different ways. Because I think one of the things, when in the end we, we chose the four to make, there were a couple more that we really wanted to do. But the scale of the stories were just too big for us to pull off in the time that we had, which is a disappointment, but that's the, those are the decisions that had to be made. But in the choices of the ones we could make, it was about showing a range of black life in this country. Because I think, sadly, quite often, you only see one element of it. And we wanted to show love stories, you know, people in contention with each other, but about different things to what you normally see. So that's why I can't choose a favorite. Each element touches me in different ways. Yeah. And when you see them, you'll know why I'm saying that. Yeah. And also I think, you know, the title Unsaid Stories speaks for itself, I think. You know, because they, they represent many different facets of the black experience. There are millions of people that watch ITV that, that aren't black. And I think they have a universality to them and a, very spe and a specificity to them. And I think that that's why they are brilliant. Was there anything in these stories that surprised you? I say, Amanda, for anything you didn't know or... And I don't want I don't want this question to sound patronizing, but I guess it's telling these black unsaid stories from a black perspective. Was there anything that you learned that surprised you or spoke to you in a way that was awakening yourself to something that you hadn't necessarily thought about from the context of people speaking about their experiences of racism in the UK? You know, I, as a, a middle-class white woman, you know, have a job and have a business partner working in an office where perhaps I'm privy to more conversations than a lot of people and have been for years. However, you know, it's not my experience, but I think what's so fantastic about these stories is that I am constantly checking myself and constantly thinking about myself all the time as, you know, and I think what's so good about this is that they are incredibly nuanced and very subtle. And I think that there are things that perhaps are unexpected for large, broad audiences that I think that they will kind of go, oh, do you know what? I've said that or I've thought that and I didn't realise the impact of it. And I think that that's very common throughout society. And, I, and I'm, I'm sort of really proud of the way that everybody's handled it. And, and I hope that answers your question. I guess it's, it is a curiosity because we want mm, these, these sure. stories and narratives to translate. Yeah. I think 
everyone wants to be heard and you know the reaction to what's happened with Black Lives Matter and the fact that at first the UK was really focused and saying well oh, look at the Americans over there they're really bad but when it spread to here and as you guys said the reaction to what's happening in the UK unfortunately it has its own history of um, racism up until the present day it is trying to like when are we going to be able to say this and people mm. actually understand it mm. and so it is through art so I guess maybe the same thing to you Nadine Mm. Do you feel, I guess you would, um, again, I feel like I'm asking questions that you will say yes to, but to expand on, do you feel these stories provide some sort of answer to the mystery that surrounds what black people are trying to express when it comes to their racial experiences? Because they're not always, you know, a bunch of skinners running around calling you the N-word. It's the subtleties, it's the microaggressions and things like that. I think the stories do cover all, all of those things. I think they're more about an opening up of a conversation mm. and allowing people in. They're not a lecture, because if you start to lecture people, people switch off. I think what these do, they explore the relationships that are in each story and then, then allow you as a viewer to feel some of that emotion. Because I think, you know, a lot of the time, you know, when we see things on TV, they're normally in documentaries. Mm. And so it, it can feel a little distancing sometimes. Whereas when you've got drama, it allows people to say things in a more complex way, because it's more considered. You know, I, I mean, I love documentaries and sometimes some of the stuff that comes out of people's mouths, because they're not checking themselves, you just go, you literally could never make that up. Whereas with, you know, with the writing of drama, you know, you are trying to get to a point very often. And if you're giving your characters the space to do that, you could say some quite complex stuff in quite a short space of time. And I think with each one of these stories, they can be read on different levels. You know, I think for black people watching them, I think to a person they go, I get that. Yeah. I've seen that. That's happened to me. I've felt that. And I think for a lot of people who aren't black, they go, oh, I've heard of that. Oh, I've, I've seen some of that, but I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't know. Oh, that. I've said that and I didn't, yeah. bloody hell, you know. But also it's, it, there are relatable experiences because we have all experienced oppression in some way, shape or form. So it is actually also pairing people's experiences and reflecting them how you react to them in your own life and, and how they mirror certain experiences you've had in your own life and, and class is very present class, yeah. I think sometimes and people do talk about this you know when people come to England they don't come fully formed as your cleaner yeah you know, where they've come from they might have been a teacher and I'm not just talking back from Windrush I'm talking to more recent yeah. arrivals people have come highly qualified but they can't get their qualifications transcribed over to here you know so people come with hopes and dreams and expectations and then the reality of life here hits them how do you overcome that how do you thrive in that and these stories do touch on some of those things so you know if you are a black middle class person but that's not how you're viewed in the world yeah. on a daily basis how do you deal with that? This also answers, I don't even need to ask this, but I will say there was a little bit of cynicism, I'm not going to lie, when I heard about this particular initiative as well, along with some of the others. I was like, they tend to say that they can't find um, black creatives, but yet when it comes to telling stories about 
pain, racism, poverty, then all of a sudden there's all these schemes and initiatives like, hey, we're going to commission all these writers to do this thing. But I like the fact that you guys said that you guys thought of it, you came up with it and you brought it to ITV. There's still that element where that's the only time they trust us to tell these type of stories. You know, I don't know if you felt any of that irritation maybe in my life yes yeah. <laughs> at this moment no okay because I think, you know this was coming out of a position of wanting to have a creative response to what was happening now some of that is painful mm. Not all of it is painful it's about finding solutions it's about feeling secure enough to ask the questions personally i haven't made a short film for decades but sure. we felt that this was the way. How else can you get uh, responses like this, multiple responses, onto mainstream TV at nine o'clock while it still feels highly relevant? We could and we still might try and develop some stories that are longer, but they probably wouldn't be seen for a year or a year and a half. Yeah. We didn't want to make wait that long. And we've got other projects in development with ITV that are longer, that are not about Black Lives Matter overtly, but underneath they are, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And from us outside with the creative world, you're outside watching this space like, okay, why are they only calling out, calling for us when it's about these painful stories? Why are they only finding our talent when they need to tell something that's a black story and they don't let us spread our wings and talk about other matters mm. so this is it's good to know what happens behind the scenes and it's good to know that there are other stories and narratives in production so it's not just that every black story has to be underpinned with this sadness and pain all the time uh, we may have been so long we're not all about yeah. sadness and pain yeah, exactly we want to make stories that entertain primarily but they're stories that are coming from a point of view in the room that you don't normally see. Yeah. So some of those will be painful. Some of them will be funny. Some of them will be exciting and dangerous. I, you know, as a company, we want to make things that spread across the spectrum of yeah. storytelling. Yeah. I don't think we have anything in development that's about a black person killing another black person. No. And if we did, it would be a thriller. It would be a genre film. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, we've always kind of really wanted to, to change the screen narrative, move it on. You know, like Nadine said, we made Been So Long, we wanted to make a love story. I was going to ask you about Been So Long, I was going to say, I can't talk to you without speaking about <laughs> Been So Long. Um, as I know, obviously, you've talked extensively about it. I've spoken to you guys about this. But could you reflect now, two years on or so, I guess I'm sure it's longer than two years, but for us, two years on, the overall experience, what you learned about yourselves and as a production company, and of course, I know, I guess in the beginning it was a bit of a hard sell, but do you think if you were working on it today, post Black Lives Matter eruption, do you think it would be a different project, maybe with people's perspectives a little bit more yeah. evolved, potentially? Uh, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, how long the pizza string? Maybe. There were experiences we had trying to make that film that I think would people think twice about now. I think that in terms of how perhaps distributors view what sells and what doesn't sell may well have changed in the last two years. Mm -hmm. I think if we yeah. went with the film now with Michaela Cole in the lead, our lives oh, yeah. would be easier. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Of course. But, but you know, yes, I think, I think, yes, possibly. In many ways, it was sort of slightly ahead of its time. 
I think because it, it was a love story. And I think the British cinema at that point had very rarely made a film with an all black cast that wasn't about drugs or gangs or, you know, so actually, and you know, as good as they were, there was nothing else being made. Hopefully that is changing, that has changed and things have been in production for the last, I mean, I think BBC films are doing a terrific job and, and making a lot of different films from a lot of different points of view. But yeah, I think at that time it, it, it probably was. Yeah, I think what was hard for us when you're trying to raise finance for a feature film, they do comparisons, you know, mm. can we raise money, can we earn income from a film that is similar to this one? So if you're making a film that isn't similar to anything else that's been made recently, your life is much harder. So that was a position we're in. And I think also what's happened since then, we've all known in our gut, there's a worldwide audience for films with black people in. Mm. I think now the industry, accepts that there's a worldwide audience for films with black people and because the world is populated by black people yeah so you know i think just a very simple thing has changed financiers and distributors point of view when it comes to whether or not to back a film I, i'm not saying it's easy but i think there is a greater acceptance that you can have a broad range of films made you know i think there's been some great films made that are about violence or drugs, but they're not the only life stories we have. And yeah. I think as long as we're allowed to tell different types of stories, that's good. Yeah. And I think when we made Been So Long, you know, even the big blockbusters in Hollywood, like Black Panther and stuff, had not come out, they hadn't been made. So the landscape has changed enormously. We were sort of slightly ahead of all of that. Um, so you both had pretty extensive careers before coming together to form Greenacre Films. You've worked on some classic projects, Amanda, BAFTA, Emmy nominated The Girl, and award-winning An Englishman in New York. Nadine, you also worked on that film and a number of award-winning and nominated projects, including Isaac Julian's Young Soul Rebels, Looking for Langston, and uh, Mira Sayal and Garinda Chada's Bargy on the Beach. So, lots of work, lots of history. Can you tell us why and how you came together? And what was it that made you guys say, ah, we can do this as Green Acre Films. Oh, golly. <laughs> I can't really remember. We just started to work. Okay, originally I was at the BBC and Amanda would pitch ideas to me. And she then never was commissioned, by the way. <laughs> I tried. And then when I left the BBC, I went to work sort of part-time as a consultant at the company that Amanda had set up with people at another company. And then we just started to work together and realised we had quite similar tastes. You know, yeah. we wanted to make projects that were entertaining, but said something. Yeah, absolutely. It's what underpinned it. And actually, you know, we, you know, we, we quite often will really respond to material in the same way in terms of criticisms or what he's doing to it or whether we want to make it or not. And, you know, we're very, very different people, but our kind of creative instincts are quite aligned and you rarely find that I think it's very hard to find that so you know and I think we both wanted to create a space in which we we could do what we want to a certain extent <laughs> which again is hard to find you know but it's been hard I mean it's been really hard and it still is but uh yeah we we like working together I think I'm gonna say how do you make it work because you obviously you must be different well not you must be but you're different people as an assumption. So, you know, they do say women can't work together and all you got to do is catfight 
us women. So we have <laughs> never had a fight or an argument or a. We haven't. We haven't. But I think that's if you've got similar tastes, you you yeah. don't. I mean, obviously, occasionally there's a project that one of us will like and the other one's not too hot on, but that wouldn't stop. You wouldn't say well, you can't do that. I mean, all you have to think about is do you have the time and energy and space to continue working on a particular project? That's that's all you can do. And I think, you know, at core, the core belief is we want to make films and TV programs that reflect the world around us. And I think if you hold on to that baseline, then you're going to be fine. And to make sure that you try and work with other people, because you don't make them on your own. It's a team, you know, we're working with multiple teams of people to try and make things happen. And, you know, the rule for anything like that, you've got to have the same vision. Otherwise you end up making something that doesn't suit any of you. So I think, you know, consciously or unconsciously, you just dial back to that base and go, are these things in place? Yes, they are. Let's move forward. Yeah. And I, and I love working with women generally. I really do. I mean, you know, we, on being so long, we had all female camera team, we had a female director on, on, on some stories, you know, most of the writers are women, you know, all the producers are women. I mean, I, you know, I love working with men too, but I think we're, I've, I've never had a problem working with women. In fact, I think, I think it goes back to having that, you know, being quite interested and inspired by voices you don't usually hear in a room or get to hear from. It's to do with perspective and that's race, class, gender, you know, and, I, and actually I think the more we fill our creative spaces with everybody, the, you know, and change those kind of tastemaker voices, I think that that's when we will start to have different work as well in this country. You know, that's when we'll start to have a richer cultural landscape. I suppose in general, what, can you guys reflect on the industry, how it's evolved since you got into it? And can you say now it feels different for women and people of colour? And then maybe what adjustments have you had to make in order to keep mentally and business healthy? Because it has been such a roller coaster. And I think the argument is, you know, it's some, you know, it's um, parallel in tandem with women, people from marginalised, other marginalised groups. I think it's taken too long. When I started, there was a lot of hope. You know, there were quite a few black filmmakers. People were getting things made. You weren't the only person in the room all the time. And then things seemed to stall for about 10, 15 years. You know, I kind of got to the point where I didn't want to go to any of those do's. I stopped doing panels because I was sick to death of literally being the only black voice. And I'm just like, I cannot represent everybody. I can only represent myself, my point of view, which hopefully will resonate with more people than just me. But, you know, I'm happiest when I walk in a room and I see more people who look like me, when I hear people who talk like me, because, you know, working class voices in the room absolutely makes a difference. So when I see more people who look like me and talk like me in positions you can say yes or no to me, that's when the job's done and it's not done yet. I would support that 150%. And, you know, I would say, even though it's completely different, is a similar thing about class and, and women generally. You know, I did grow up in a world where there were no black people or anybody else in the room, but also there were no women, there were no working class people. And I think that as I absolutely back Nadine in agreeing with it's, it's not changing quick enough, but it is changing on some level. And 
I do think it went backwards. I think it went, I think there was a sort of 80s and 90s were a bit more radical and then it sort of slipped back and now, yeah. you know. Yeah. I think yeah. everybody thought it was all done. It was a bit like people thought, well, we know what the arguments are. We all know what needs to be done. Mm. But then it kind of stopped being done. And what I do think now, um, all of these things are on the agenda. And I think it'd be really hard for them to slip off. Mm. I don't think that can happen now. I am really optimistic for our near and medium future. Yeah, me too. What's next for you guys quickly? And where can people watch Unsaid Stories? And what in the pipeline, we are in development with all the channels and a couple of very major SVODs on the series. We have five feature films in development. So yeah, watch this space. You can watch Unsaid Stories on ITV, nine o'clock, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, starting August the 10th. Thank you guys. Looking forward to watching Unsaid Stories. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.